0: Podcast. I'm Liana Downey and I'm here today with Jamie Harmon, founder and CEO of The Hope Market. Welcome, Jamie.
1: Hi, Liana. It's so good to be here and talking to you.
0: It's lovely to have you on the show. Jamie, I'd love for you to tell me and our listeners a little bit about your story. You're a social entrepreneur and I'd love to hear a bit about what brought you to this point.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, I kind of like to think that it's in my blood from my mom getting me involved at a very young age, actually, both my parents in just giving back a lot and being a part of experiences where I saw what being a part of, of a nonprofit community can do. I've always been really interested. And then when I got to college, and I studied economics, I really started being interested more in what the value of nonprofit acting like a business can do as well as what the value of businesses incorporating a socially conscious aspect into their business can do for them and what you know good impact we could have on the world by both of those and i was really interested in both international development uh, forms of social enterprise, as well as some of the different models that were existing here in the US as a form of giving back and also nonprofits starting to act a little bit more like businesses to bring revenue into their organizations.
0: And so tell us a little bit about
1: the Hope Market. What does it do? What's the intention? Sure. So the Hope Market is a e-commerce store with social conscience. So we have nonprofit partners that we work with, and we go about it in two ways. So one, you can just come to our store and buy a piece of jewelry or a gift. And 10% will go back to our nonprofit partners of every sale. Otherwise, we also work directly with nonprofit partners and provide them the opportunity to utilize our store as a fundraising mechanism where they essentially have fundraisers that are affiliates and are going out and selling our products. And then 30% is donated directly to the nonprofit. Some cases, those affiliates actually have a fundraising minimum they have to meet. And in that case, we ensure that each sale that they make, they're being credited towards the fundraising minimum that they've agreed to with that nonprofit organization. That makes sense. I think, now, did
0: you have experience? You talked about growing up and being exposed to nonprofits, but did you
1: work in a nonprofit at some point in your previous career? I did. Yeah, it was actually my first real job, if you will, after internships and fellowships. And I became the development manager for a nonprofit in a mountain town in Colorado. And they were actually the main and only resource for social services in the community. They were one of the larger nonprofits at about a million dollar revenue a year. And I was one of the first people they brought in to actually perform the paid job duty as a development manager. So I was really building a program from the ground up. They'd been supported for over 20 years by amazing locals, but never really had a system in place. And I hadn't really known anything about the industry or development in a nonprofit prior to that. And I'd come from kind of this business mind economics background and was so frustrated by kind of this old guard thinking of, being unwilling to maybe spend a little bit of money to make more money back and also the unwillingness of the supporters to see the value in that and that we could grow the organization even more by utilizing some techniques that are outside of the nonprofit world. Very interesting. And I
0: think, you know, you really, and I'm sure any development director for a small organization who is listening or any executive director for an organization who is listening (laughs) will... Relate to that struggle of trying to help people understand that sometimes you need to invest in order to get more. And then also just the real challenges of trying to raise money. I, I remember listening to somebody who had established a very successful large nonprofit say that if you were interested in setting up a nonprofit, you should think very carefully about your reasons and if one of the reasons you were thinking of setting up a nonprofit was, you know, in addition to wanting to do good in the world because you didn't want to think about money or you didn't like money, then you were absolutely getting into the wrong business because in a way, no organization has to think about money and where it's coming from more than a nonprofit. profit Absolutely it's because it's usually not built into the way that we're working. So, it sounds like in some senses, your desire to set up a social enterprise came in part from that frustration of, of being on the front line, knowing how hard it is to raise money for an organization. Is that right?
1: Definitely. Yeah. I would say that that experience pushed me forward into wanting to do something along those lines. and. You know, that combined with what I had studied in undergraduate school of the different types of models like microfinance and other ways that organizations were utilizing social enterprise. Interestingly, while I was at the Family Resource Center, there had been a movement afoot in Colorado with Family Resource Centers. There had been about 17 across the state where a few of them had started utilizing the families that were were benefiting from them to start working and benefit the nonprofit. So they would pay them a reasonable wage. They would do things like sew and create snowboard bags. And it was this great kismet thing that was going on between them. My organization wasn't overly interested in starting something like that. So that probably also was and that experience helped me to understand that there were different ways of going about it. I would also say that that experience made me start thinking about it differently, where maybe I could do it from the business side. Maybe I don't do it from the nonprofit side, but I choose nonprofit partners who I see are doing really amazing things that I can support them through my business model, and then they can concentrate on their mission. And I think that that's an interesting movement that we're seeing going on with a lot of different types of businesses that are starting here and around the world. Yeah.
0: And I love that phrase so that they can concentrate on their mission. As I think you're probably aware, I'm a little bit obsessed about, you know, focus on mission and mission control. (laughs) And one of the challenges that you articulated for organizations who want to start fee for services activities is they end up in all kinds of curious businesses that are really very different from their core mission. You know, I remember talking to a large YMCA that – I mean and YMC is an interesting organization in a way because it does has a lot of community service, but then it also has this kind of hotel element and so that, you know there's this sort of tension between that or you have somebody who is in the business of like UNICEF where they're in the business of making and selling cards, but they're also in a very different you know so I, I like the way that you're thinking very much, which is how can we help organizations have steady income streams that doesn't totally distract them from the work that they're doing and doesn't totally require them to have and build an entire new set of capacity and business skills, but can they do it through partnership? So mm-hmm. that's very interesting. And so tell me a, a bit about when you're looking for a nonprofit partner, what describes your ideal nonprofit partner in terms of where they're at, the way you partner together?
1: Definitely. So I would say right now, partly because I am really in a startup growth phase at the moment, I am concentrating a little bit more on larger nonprofits that have a pretty strong fundraising program that we can tap into. And I'm doing that so that I can create a really strong model that I can replicate with smaller nonprofits that may need a little bit more support. Makes Um, sense. Yeah. So My essentially beta model that I have been working on for the last year, and they have been an amazing partner for me, and I think I am providing them value in bringing this new model to them, um, is the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, and the reason they work so well in trying this model out is that they have a large number of individuals who have agreed to fundraise for them in exchange for entry to marathons and training through their team and training program. And then also just for their walk, their major walk, which is actually one of their biggest fundraisers. And so I can work with them I work with each of their campaign directors. We, I present usually at their kickoff events for their individual fundraisers. And I provide each of those fundraisers with the opportunity to become an affiliate. They get all, they get their own dashboard with me. They get their own links and codes so that they can share it with friends and family. Take advantage of things like Valentine's Day where people are buying gifts anyway and they can let their friends know that they're fundraising for a nonprofit. And if they're gonna buy a gift anyway, they could buy it through the Hope Market and then it will benefit their fundraiser. And so that's working to, to allow for these individual fundraisers more ways to get out there. Because a lot of times, these are just we're normal, everyday people who don't fundraise. They have full-time jobs and they are a little afraid to just go ask for money. So it's providing them an opportunity to have other ways of fundraising. And it's also providing more income potential for the nonprofit. And the great thing is, is that once I make a sale to any one of those people, I can go back to them at any given time and remind them that they can come to the hope market and that person becomes a fundraiser for the nonprofit without even realizing they're doing it.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And it sounds like there's almost a cascading effect where they've already done a good job in activating a volunteer base to yeah. fundraise for them through their their sports events and then you in turn are kind of activating the networks around them. And I think if you look at the pattern of fundraising for any organization, whether it's board fundraising or even to a lesser extent institutional fundraising, it is like a tree that grows and the branches grow out. And so it is about an individual who feels a connection with the organization engaging other people in their network to start to feel that connection until it becomes their own connection and they feel an affiliation and connection with that organization and then they in turn start to engage their their network. And I love that what you're doing too is you're, you're so right in saying that it's really difficult to ask people for money. It's difficult if you're a volunteer it's difficult if you're a development director. you know for many development directors and many EDs it's it's like anything. you get better at it over time. but that first time that you you go out and fundraise on behalf of an organization, it can be challenging. And I think that one of the things that you're helping do, it sounds like is just make it easy, make it easy to ask, and also make it easy. So that there's, there's kind of more than one benefit in that process. We know that when people give to an organization, they feel good. And then you've got kind of the double thing that they might buy a gift for somebody, give that gift. So the person gets the gift they, and, and the donation is received as well. So there's a sort of, mm-hmm. and they feel good about it. So there's a nice kind of cascade where you, you're yeah. multiple benefits, both emotional and financial and a physical good as well.
1: Definitely. And I think it's also been really interesting for me to learn a little bit more as well about what some of my customers are utilizing the Hope Market for. And it's been an interesting combination of people who are buying it for their sister because they lost their mom. So they're buying a necklace for them. And Mm. it means a lot. There's just this deeper meaning to the gifts that I honestly didn't really know that that was going to happen, but it's really created kind of even another level where the donation is almost secondary, but it's not at the same time because we're giving back to an organization to someone that they might've lost someone to, or that is struggling with it. It just has this, this more intense feeling about it. And so, it's been a really interesting journey to see that happen as well and, and see the layers of what what something like this can do. So it's not just about the giving back and the and the ability to fundraise. It's about honoring people you love at the same time.
0: Absolutely. And I think too, there's something interesting. So you've talked about jewelry. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, so you have a piece of jewelry. How did you go about choosing what that jewelry would look like? and And what's the kind of story behind the pieces that you have? On your website?
1: Sure. So each one has been a little bit different. I would say that with Leukemia Lymphoma Society, they happen to have a logo that is supposed to be a representative of a blood droplet. And that was a really easy thing to take. It's a pear shape. It's really easy to make jewelry that represents that. Right. So that was an easier one to create and figure out. Otherwise, what we've really done is try to take meaningful stories that also relate to the nonprofit. So for instance, with the Children's Hospital, we had a woman who had her child very premature, about eight weeks premature, was in the NICU for quite a bit of time, and then found out she had breast cancer once she was starting to breastfeed. And that story just had so much meaning to it. And we created a piece that was, I would say, A beautiful piece of jewelry that just had this maternal feel to it. So not specific, but something anyone might want to buy because it's beautiful. But also, it has this amazing story behind it. And we felt like that story was a great connection to the Children's Hospital because of their experience at the NICU. And it has a happy ending because she is in remission for two years now and is doing extremely well. So I work with various jewelry designers and also a few wholesalers that have strong ethical practices in where they source their jewelry. So If there is something that matches a story that's already in existence, it's even better because that much more can go back to the nonprofit quicker.
0: That makes sense. And I know that that's always been something very important to you is is thinking about ethical sourcing. And so being a counterpoint to, you know, overseas, sweatshop Mm -hmm. labor, you're really making sure that everyone in your supply chain is getting as much value as possible and keeping your costs down. Is that right? Have I understood that correctly?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I really have, I believe that this, it has to be holistic. I can't be benefiting one side and just ignoring the other. And so it really has to come full circle. And, you know, that does affect some of my prices. That means that some of the jewelry is a little bit more expensive than what you might find on other websites. But I think that doing that is a key part of it. I don't feel as though I would be truly honoring my mission if I wasn't making that a part of the priority and a part of the business model.
0: Exactly. So it's, sort of, it's ethical from the ground up yeah. and thinking about people in the system from the ground up, which is lovely.
1: And you also, do you have a notebook product on your I do. Yeah, that was Tell something that, that Leukemia Lymphoma Society wanted to do. They find that journaling is something that a lot of their patients find a lot of help and hope from. And so I worked with them and then also a local entrepreneur here in Colorado, Sarah Bloody with Make My Notebook. And so that's kind of a combination with the two of us and just something a little extra that we can provide to people who may be actually going through something. At the time. Um, so.
0: So that's, I mean, that's a fabulous for anyone who's listening, who knows somebody who is going through cancer of really of any kind at the moment. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I'd say that's probably many people on listening, then that's something you can do for that person is to give them the opportunity to have a really thoughtfully designed notebook that's really targeted to somebody who's going through that experience and help journal through that process if that's something that might be of interest and use to them. So that's, that's another great, great product. I love that. And I love how all of them have these kind of stories and richness. And you mentioned, you know, you're in startup mode. So, you're you're living the life of an entrepreneur. (laughs) What are some of the challenges of running a social enterprise? You talked about, you know, the better you do, the more your prices have to reflect that. And that, I think, is a very real challenge of people in business is that, if you, if you want to do things reasonably, you, you do have more costs associated with the business often. What are some of the other challenges you've found in running a social enterprise?
1: Well, I would say that that's probably the core of the biggest challenges. I mean, the reality of starting a social enterprise is that I won't break even in starting this business as quickly as I would if I wasn't giving back a portion of my sale and a portion of my... Revenue and that's okay because that's the reason I started the business and that's the the model that I've chosen. And I really I went into it prepared as far as you know running the numbers and figuring it out. And I think also probably having the perseverance and personality to (laughs) those, (laughs) those kinds of issues. So I would say that's probably the biggest one in the model that I've created. The other one is that I I'm looking for partners in the nonprofit world and going full circle back to the reasons I started this business. You know, it can be a little bit of a struggle to convince certain nonprofit partners to, you know, jump in with me and give this a go. I've tried to do everything I can to well, they still have to have a little bit of skin in the game because they need them to be participating to take burden off their plate versus add burden to them. But it's scary because innovation is not usually something you associate with nonprofits. (laughs)
0: Um, Especially, I think, with the larger nonprofits, which is what you're saying, you know, you're starting with now, which makes sense. I mean, I think you actually see tons of innovation with smaller nonprofits, but it makes sense that you need to build up your model you need some scale to get the scale in place so that you can then support yeah. the smaller organisations and i think that's true right i think yeah Sometimes Um, innovation is not as easy to see in those larger, more established organizations.
1: Definitely. And I've been, I mean, so fortunate with Leukemia Lymphoma Society because they have a structure that works for this, where each chapter executive director does, to some extent, have some autonomy to try out different fundraising mechanisms. So it's worked really well in that regard. I do believe that. I will be opening myself up to other nonprofit organizations who are willing to jump in the pool with me and smaller ones that are willing to put the effort in on the sales side to sell the products and see the benefits. I think the interesting thing is, if you really think about it, this isn't actually something that is that innovative or that new. I mean... We have the Girl Scouts who've been selling cookies for a very, very long time. And we have, you know, Boy Scouts who've sold popcorn. Most of the schools have books and other wrapping paper and chocolate. So these aren't really new concepts. It's just that a lot of nonprofits haven't really taken advantage of this type of idea. Yeah.
0: And I think the difference is that your what you're doing really thoughtfully connects and ties. Mm-hmm. Back to the mission in a way that you know some of the other things are a little more disconnected, and so I think that's I think that's kind of distinctive, and and also in a differently from what I've heard you describe that model is you're doing more of the work yourself, where the where you know the distribution. And as a, as a Girl Scout mother, I know that the, <laughs> the <laughs> yes. distribution lands squarely on, you know, you to get yeah. those boxes out and knock on the, you know, your, your daughter to go and knock on the doors <laughs> you know, to make sure that they get all the deliveries. You're actually handling that for people. You're taking that off people's plates and allowing yes. them to do the sales, but not have to do the fulfillment and handle the product and make the product and all those things. So,
1: Absolutely. And that was, you know, I really from the get-go and having experience working in a nonprofit one of the things i've always tried to do is take a step into the shoes of those who work at the nonprofit and see and make sure that what i'm doing is is not adding extra things to their plate, but yeah. hopefully relieving some of it in some way or another. So that was actually one of the key questions that Leukemia Lymphoma Society asked of me in the beginning was whether their staff or the fundraisers themselves would be responsible for that. And from that regard, I operate as an e-commerce business. Yeah, And I think that's also something that works well for them and also for me because then i have control as well as to how it looks on arrival to the to the people that my marketing materials for the customers are in there and they can learn a little bit more about what we're doing and and hopefully they can be a future customer again out of that
0: And I have to say, I I mean, I think you do that beautifully. I have been there on the receiving end of one of your shipments and it's always beautifully presented. And then the interesting thing, you know, you're talking about the kind of message and stories that people have as to why they give the gifts. But I've also found in wearing a necklace from the Hope Market that people ask me about the story you know they're, they're distinctive enough pieces that people are drawn to them in a way that they may not ask about another necklace and so that allows you then to tell that story of the organization as well as the Hope Market which I think is fantastic because it's exactly what every nonprofit wants is people out there telling their story and so to have a little thing that's walking around with somebody every day and telling mm-hmm. their story I think is really powerful and so just I wanted to close on one thing which is that you Launch the business in Colorado. And I think there's quite a vibrant startup scene in Colorado. Tell us a little bit about the scene because I'm not there. I I don't know what's happening.
1: Yeah. it's. I mean, I feel very fortunate to have been able to start this in Colorado. I think there is an incredibly supportive community in the entrepreneurial and the startup world, but even more probably, I would say as a female entrepreneur. So Denver has one of the largest free startup weeks in the entire country that has unbelievable invaluable information that I would say people would pay thousands of dollars for at conferences. So that's something in and of itself I found incredible value, especially having dove into e-commerce with no experience prior. So I definitely was trying to taken as much information as I could over the last year. Beyond that, Women Who Startup, which I think is now 6,000 members strong across the world, um, started here and has monthly base camps and is really just an incredibly supportive community that has a free Slack channel and you can go to for any kind of advice and people are just very willing to provide it. I think one of the things I heard at Denver Startup Week this last year in September at a panel of businesses that are, you know, potentially growing at incredible pace is that all of those founders had found that Denver's the kind of place where you can reach out to somebody, ask for a connection, and two days later you can be sitting having coffee with a VC. People don't hoard their connections, they want the community to grow. They want other businesses to grow. There's just so much supportiveness. And I think in some other environments, you don't see that as much. So I've been able to build a really amazing network in Colorado. And then I think probably... In as supportive of an environment in New York. And those two places combined have provided me, I think, with the ability to get through the hard days.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. I think for any nonprofit leader, any social enterprise leader, any entrepreneur, roller coaster is probably the name of the game. But, you know, <laughs> yes. Having a supportive community is everything. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us. And as always, thank you, yeah. audience, for listening. If you're looking for more information about the work that Jamie and her team are doing, where can they go, Jamie?
1: Yeah, so they can go to thehopemarket.com or you can email me directly at jamie at thehopemarket.com. And you can also check out our Instagram at shophopemarket or Facebook at facebook.com slash thehopemarket. Thank you so much, Liana. This has been wonderful. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: Well, I wish you all the very best. I think it is an incredible initiative that you're undertaking. And I know that there are many, many nonprofit leaders who would love the idea of some extra income and help in telling their story, spreading the news, and driving up their income. <laughs> If you're a leader looking for help in changing the world, you can join the Mission Control community at www.missioncontrolbook.com where you'll find blogs, podcast posts, and a heap of other tools. This is Mission Control with Liana Downey, and I've been speaking with Jamie Harmon from the Hope Market, and I'll speak with you soon. Bye. Bye.